Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you would like any more information on the podcasts or the sermon series that we're doing, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. Everybody's favorite topic, Mark. That's right. Contributions, the tabernacle, <laughs> the details of the tabernacle. Uh, you know, Chris, you are, you're a very intelligent man, and uh, you know you uh, know a lot from Scripture. So why don't you just uh, verbatim tell us how everything is to be built in the tabernacle, in order. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, one of the things that sticks out here in these chapters is um, how is this sanctuary how's this tabernacle to be built and, and uh, from where will the resources come if you look in the 25th chapter we, we read there in the first few verses the lord said to moses speak 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 to the people of israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him you shall receive the contribution for me and this is the contribution that you will receive from them gold silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for anointing oil and for the fragrance incense, onyx stones and stones for settings and for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, you shall make it. What's fascinating here is that, you know, God, you know, probably could get whatever he wants from anywhere, right? Because he's God. And yet he's telling Moses that the people need to give for this. Now, you can see why they would need to. It's not like Moses has this, you know, a treasure chest of stuff that he, with him that he could just do it with. But I think it speaks to more what we see throughout Scripture, even this the idea of worship and this idea of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even whether it's first fruits and, and those sorts of things. Um, God wants his people to be involved in this process, and he wants them to give to it. And as that list um, shows us, we're talking about valuable things in that culture and that time, things that would have been a sacrifice for people to give up, give up and to uh, contribute. And, you know, I think you and I have said this before here at Park Hills, we're, we are not a church that says give, 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 give. We just don't do it because we don't, I guess some of that is a desire to separate ourselves so far from uh, these churches that that over preach it or preach it for the wrong reasons. Sure, and uh, you know the the church family here is is very generous as it is, and and we have the things that we need for ministry. But there's something to be said here in in having that spirit of of what wouldn't I give to my God? And I think it, it speaks to the culture that's being created there. It also speaks to the the importance of sort of being all in, and 
I think that maybe what would help these particular people, these Israelites, be as generous as they were, because we know later in Exodus uh, 36, verse 7, or 37, verse 6, one of those two, uh, talks about um, Moses just saying, okay, no more. Yeah. Do not bring any more stuff in. We've got it. I mean, no, I appreciate that you want to give, but don't give it. Right. Please stop, which speaks to incredible generosity on the part of these people, especially when we read all, all that was required to make the tabernacle. So I think part of me wants to say, okay, why are they so generous? Well, okay, they want God with them, and from what they understand of him, they want right. Yahweh's presence. But I think also... If your daily provisions were being obviously supplied by God every day, sure. wouldn't it be easier to just say, yes, God gives, I will give to God? You know, and I think that we remove ourselves so far from that idea that we think we, we have food to eat, we have a place to live, we have all the provisions we need because we work hard or we save or we manage our money well or whatever. And we sort of detach that from God as though it's ours and not his. And I think maybe for some of these Israelites, it might have been easier to see that God is the provider. You right. know, we don't have to worry about eating because it's provided for us every day. But what a great, a great picture for us of, of something we need to be involved in. And I think, you know, I think it's important for people today who are attending to, to be contributing in one way or another. And again, please understand that as Chris and I say this, it doesn't, our, our salaries don't uh, wax and wane with, with the giving trends or anything like that. It's, this is not about us, so please don't hear that wrong. But it's really about just us. It's a, an important part of worship, isn't it? It is, and it's a part of worship that, like you just mentioned, because so many people have really handled it poorly, we don't feel the freedom maybe to talk about it as much as or we're the cautious, Bible yeah. talks it about it. And part of that we don't even need to feel the pressure because our church is pretty generous and we don't have to, we don't have to ask people to give because it's just kind of built into the DNA of, of what we do here and a part of who we are. So yeah. And when I say don't feel the freedom, of course we have the freedom to talk about whatever we want to talk about, but it is a, it's a nerve wracking thing because you think I don't want to be lumped in with this person or this person. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be asking people for a, a brand new jet, <laughs> you know, we're just talking about the basics, you know, uh, a like roof. a really nice car, no, yeah, just, yeah. No, but a roof over the head of the church to, to, so that we're able to worship together as the body of, of Christ, as the family of God on a Sunday morning. And we're blessed with a really neat facility that, that gives us access to a lot of different things. But even that, sometimes people misread some of the things that are in the building and they think, well, that's really nice. We, maybe we should have not done that, or maybe we should have done this. And it, the fact is, each church has a footprint that it's making in, in its local community. Each family of believers have access to something. And so when they own a building or they, you know, purchase a, a bigger building or they move into a, a new space, and I'm thinking about like overhauling our worship center, mm -hmm. that frees up lots of possibilities for us down the road. Like if we hosted a concert, we'd be better apt to do that now than we would have been a few years ago. And, some of these things are just sort of taken for granted that, no, if they just show up, everything will be fine. No, you need to kind of make some moves sometimes to keep yeah. your footprint in the community at the level that it should be. And Park Hills is a very unique church with a very unique footprint in this area. So, if, you know, we've hosted 
little mini pastors meetings from a lot of different churches here, we have some really neat spaces that allow us to sit with, with a group of pastors in a room and all of us are spaced well and we don't feel cramped and we feel like it's a good place for us to think and to process and to work things through. Not every church that I've been to has access to that, but we're a different type of church with a different type of you know, purpose or, or footprint, like I said, in the area. So with that said, back to what you were talking about as far as the giving part goes, not only is it people realizing that they're part of what God is trying to do, it's also the people realizing what God has already done in their life, and they give according to that. They wouldn't have anything in their hands if Egypt hadn't been plundered by God at the very end of the of chapter nine. You know what is that fifteen? So they, as they leave Egypt, they are given all kinds of things mm-hmm. to leave the country, and that God is now saying, "All right, I've given you all these things. Let's give some back so that we can create a space where I'm going to meet in your midst. I'm going to be right in your midst. I'm going to be with you." And today, that doesn't translate as well, and I understand that. People have trouble sometimes with that. Yeah. But we still have a place that we're able to meet as a church family, and that's an important part of what being a church family is, is giving toward that and helping make that happen. What would you say, Chris, to a believer who would say, I don't need to give to my local church. Um, I do other charitable things uh, on the side or something like that. Yeah, I, when I have those conversations with people, and that, that happens a fair amount. I mean, I'm sure you do too, where people come to you and say, well, you know, I, I would give, but I do this. The reason why my family gives, that's usually how I answer this question. The reason why my family gives to our church is we want to be bought in. Yeah, We want to be investors in what's happening at Park Hills. And so the reason why we give uh, at a, a rate that is a little more than what biblically would be asked of us is because we want to make sure that we're a part of what's happening here, not just with our time, not with just our gifts that God has given us, but also with, with, with the money or the, the treasure that God has given us. And so we're not overly wealthy people. We, you know, yeah, none none of us in ministry are, (laughs) we, we take a fraction of what we probably could make out there in the open market, but we love our church and we want to be a part of what, God's doing here. But even with that, we live sacrificially and give from that amount because we want to make sure that we're bought into what's happening here. Yeah. So if you aren't giving to your local church, I would just ask the question, are you really sold out? Are you bought into where your church is going? And if you're not, that's a question between you and the Lord that you have to answer. If, if you're not bought or, in. Or even a question for the leadership to absolutely. Go, go to them and, you know, clarify absolutely. some things. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, that's a great, those are great words. And I, and I think that, again, it, it makes it, both you and I uncomfortable to even talk about it because we know how touchy it is with people because, unfortunately, there are those out there who have misused Scripture, misused this mm-hmm. idea for selfish gain, and, and uh, pastors who live these r- lavish lifestyles and convince people, make, make people these promises that, that aren't scriptural, that... And so they're exploiting people, and that's so wrong, and the Lord will deal with that. Uh, but I think there's even, there's something to even, you know, people who've been coming to this church for a long time, maybe they were part of giving uh, to the expansion project of a- adding on the gym back in the sure. late 80s. And and then maybe in the early 2000s when we uh, built on here out here, they were part of it. And there's something that, it it, it does help you feel 
more like family and more committed to it. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's healthy. Um, Again, we are to be very, very clear. We are not suggesting that a facility is this holy place. It's really a place that we meet. It needs to be functional for us, but it's really the church. We, the body of Christ, they come in and we're the ones who make the church, but it does matter that you contribute to the church as a whole in that way. uh, Just for the, monthly expenses, but also just for those bigger things too. And it's good to be involved in that. Now I, I want to leave this conversation behind because I know it makes both Chris and I uncomfortable <laughs> because people misread it so often. Very much so. And that's not uh, what we need to do, but it's so good to remember that the spirit of giving that spirit of generosity is to do it joyfully and, and sacrificially, but it, it's also doing it. We're remembering that it all came from God. Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that we're hearing from people about the Exodus series is they're very curious to have us talk about the tabernacle, which I think is interesting that we have people that want to hear about the tabernacle because this isn't the part of scripture most people want to hear. Yeah. And really, you know, we might be criticized or judged for, for not going through uh, verse by verse on Sundays with all this, but really it's, it's a section of, of scripture that gives you all the detail. It's just, it's all there for you to read. It's not, it really doesn't need to be expounded upon in right. any great way other than to say that, you know, we see within it this purpose of, uh, of creating a place for God to dwell in their midst. That was the key thing, you know, there. And, and again, that's just the beginning of, of God's pursuit of, of man in that way. But uh, yeah, the details are there. They are. So here's a couple of the details. So if, if you can imagine with me, you're getting all of this wool from animals and you're, you're building these cloths out of the thing and you've got these poles made of acacia wood, you would set up pillars in a perfect rectangle. And within that, you would put this fur, this cloth up on the inside so nobody can actually see what's going on on, on the inside of, of these curtains. And inside of those curtains is the courtyard. So every Israelite would be welcomed into the courtyard to worship. As you walk into the courtyard, if you can imagine with me, right in front of you is a massive basin that's just this huge piece of metal that has some water in it. They couldn't obviously bring the water with them everywhere they went because it would slosh around and fall out kind of thing. Uh, but but this, this la- laver, this, this basin of water would be the place where the priests would wash their hands and they would clean themselves ceremonially before they would actually take part in the burnt offerings. And then you can imagine a bunch of animals that are lined up ready to be burnt in a burnt offering. Bad day for an animal. Yep. And so you've got an altar that is a certain height tall and you've got a stairwell that the priests are walking up and they're, they're taking these chunks of meat that they've just cut up for the offering and they're throwing it into this fire that's burning. So there's this smell of burning meat and, and flesh and hair uh, which symbolizes the sacrifice that we need to be right before God. We need something to pay for our life with its life. And so whether that's a cow or whether that's a, you know, a pigeon or a dove or all these different types of birds and animals, uh, all those things would be there. Now, turn yourself uh, you know, away from the altar and look back, and there's this beautiful tent that's another rectangle. So it's a rectangle within a rectangle, and this is called the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle, you'd have a, a door that's open, or accessible at least to the priestly people. 
And then that door would open up into a little space where the priests would worship and spend their time, and, and they call that the holy place. But then there's another little door inside of that that leads to a perfect square, and that that perfect square or perfect cube, actually, it's it's cubic, would be where the Lord meets with the high priest once a year for the Day of Atonement. And inside that square, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, you have the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is this little box of acacia wood with some stuff inside of it, but then it's got these two massive, beautiful cherubim on top of it that sort of signify these angelic beings that are guarding God and they're guarding the presence of the Lord. Uh, The whole thing is filled with smoke because they have candles burning and things burning all the time, and, and the smoke also is supposed to represent this beautiful smell and this beautiful offering that's being given to the Lord. So there's a, in the holy place, not the most holy place, but the holy place, there's an altar of incense, there's some golden candlesticks, and there's also this table with showbread. It's got bread that's been freshly made to represent that God is the bread of life that we need. Now, what I love about the tabernacle, and that's enough of the detail, you know, I'll throw a, a picture in the show notes, people can look at it and follow along with it. But if you think about the tabernacle itself, what it is is a picture of what is to come. There's a day coming when we'll all be able to worship inside of the gates of a city that is cubic. It's amazing. So instead of these rectangles, we one day we'll actually be entering the most holy place where God is living. And this city that we're going to have surrounding us is going to be this big, beautiful city with this massive throne in the middle. And God's going to be sitting there. And we're all offering our lives as sacrifice. There will no longer be a sacrificial system there. It's just us walking around, serving God, doing amazing things, taking fruit from the tree of life, all of us eating it, enjoying it together, knowing that we've, we've got what God needs to give us. And at any point, we can look up and see the presence of the Lord, the glory of God sitting right in the middle of the city. So what the tabernacle is, is a small picture of what is one day to come. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to just paint us in our mind is really vivid image of this is where God is meeting you. But one day the entire earth will be filled with God's presence. One day you will be able to meet with him. Even if you don't want to, <laughs> not in you'll you always will want to, but there'll be no spot on the earth that you won't be able to look back and see his glory. It's pretty amazing. And so the tabernacle is the precursor to the temple and the temple is the precursor to the greatest temple that's coming in revelation chapter 20, 21, 22. All because God wants to dwell with us that is so so beautiful and i i think that my time in exodus both in preparation and just in just private reading it's just been so it just it sticks out to me so much that just he wants to dwell with us that's so cool he does it's beautiful and it's beautiful to think about the only other thing that I want to talk about with the, temp, uh, the tabernacle real quick is these two individuals, Holiab and Bezalel. And these two individuals, are, um, they're the Mark Balmers of, <laughs> of, of the Israelites. The way that you take a vehicle from an auction and then you can make it functional again and beautiful again is a really special gift. It's a neat thing. And not everybody's able to do that with their hands. And... When I read about these two, what I love is that God's spirit indwells these two individuals. We always think of God's spirit indwelling the prophets or the kings. But these two, God's spirit indwells them so that their hands will do all of the instructions the way God wants them to be done. So that the tabernacle and all of its little facets and pieces will be made perfectly by God through these two men. That's really cool. Yeah. 
filled with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, cutting stones and settings, carving wood, working every craft. And behold, I've appointed with him that, you know, that what a, yeah, it's a cool thing to think about. It's like, it wasn't just Moses is finding the most handy guys from the Israelites. These are guys that, um, that are filled with the spirit of God to do that again in it, in an old Testament time when that wasn't true of all God followers. And pretty cool. It's so cool. And if you think about it this way, I would love it if everybody was filled by the Spirit to do the work that God has called them to. And so even if you are thinking of yourself as, well, I just do this, you know, oh, hum, the church only uses me to do this. Your gifts and abilities are useful to this church, to this family of God, even if all you think you're doing is taking care of the property. Right, I mean, our properties team is full of of some people who are really talented, and they've got years worth of service, and they love God so much they want to use their gifts to serve the building and their and the grounds. Yeah, and it's a blessing to the rest of us. Totally. Yep. It's beautiful. So even if you think, "Oh, I'm the lowest of the low at the church," I would encourage you with a little something from the Psalms, where it says, "It is better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord." and to have a thousand days elsewhere, right? Yep. Beautiful.